Hello, and welcome to this episode of the Event Manager Podcast by Skiff Meetings, the podcast for curious event professionals embracing the future of business events. My name is Andrea Doyle, and I am the senior editor of Skiff Meetings. And in this episode titled, Shining a Light on Everyone Under the Sun, I have the pleasure of speaking with Stacy Ritter, President and CEO of Visit Lauderdale. Our conversation was an important one as we discussed the Florida travel advisories and how they are impacting meetings and conventions coming to the state. We talked about whether companies should consider boycotting or not, how Visit Lauderdale's tagline, everyone under the sun celebrates all. We talk about the evolution of the area and how when in 1974, when Ritter arrived, it was a sleepy little beach town, but today is a vibrant community where more than 100 languages are spoken. We talk about breaking the glass ceiling and the convention center renovation and how that will be a game changer for the area. I hope you enjoy listening to this conversation and I invite you to check out other episodes of the podcast, which you can find on our website or by subscribing through your favorite podcast service. Thank you. Travel Portland presents a meditation for meeting planners. Close your eyes and picture your conference in Portland, Oregon. Your budget is totally under control. With no sales tax, you've saved thousands, which you spend on a group dinner at one of Portland's incredible restaurants. The food, delicious. Your attendees, delighted. And the glory, all yours. Portland, yours to find, yours to share. So Stacy, if you don't mind introducing yourself, that would be great. Okay, my name is Stacy Ritter and I am president and CEO of Visit Lauderdale, which is Broward County's destination management organization. And can you explain how you got to be in this position? <laughs> sure, let's see, I was born a poor child and uh, um, I, um, I had um, been serving in public office for almost 20 years. I was a member of the Brad County Board of County Commissioners and um, the CVB, the Convention and Visitors Bureau, what we now call Visit Lauderdale, is uh, an agency of county government. And um, my predecessor had been talking about retiring for a really long time. She just kept talking about it. And one day, my husband, who is my biggest supporter, my best friend, said to me, you know what? You can do that. You've been doing cocktail parties for 20 years as an elected official. What is it? It's just one big cocktail party, right? And I said, I can do cocktail parties. I've been doing cocktail parties for almost 20 years. <laughs> so um, she finally uh, formally announced her retirement and we put together uh, what looked very much looked like a, a political campaign where I had supporters who would contact uh, the county administrator who made the appointment, would make the appointment. And um, we uh, we got, figured out who the naysayers would be and, and tried to mute their uh, their naysaying voices. And um, it worked out. And so here I am, um, seven years later, um, working for tourism in, in Broward County. Well, that is amazing. Yeah. <laughs> but there's not 
not everyone understands what a destination management organization does. I was wondering how you explain to friends and family what you do. Yeah, well, clearly my husband didn't know what it was because it is not one big cocktail party. I can tell you that. Um, the The job is to, and I think there are a lot of people who don't know what what CBBs do, um, or or why we do what we do. So, um, we the job is the forty some odd of us who work at Visit Lauderdale. Our job is to market and promote the destination because tourism is Broward County's biggest industry, and without tourists, um, we don't have an economy here in, in Broward County. So the job is to, for us, travel the world because we're an international destination and talk about the place that I've called home since 1974 um, and how it's evolved into this really beautiful, diverse, and inclusive, welcoming destination. But that's the job, to go talk to tour operators and travel agents and consumers and, and business people and, and business um, business publications and leisure publications um, to take uh, tr to bring in influencers and, and people in tourism, both on the leisure side and the business side, and show them all we have to offer so that they will bring their business, whether it's conferences or for, uh, for travel agents, leisure travelers, to Broward County so that people stay employed. Can you um, just touch upon the convention space you have? Well, we are, um, the Broward County Convention Center is currently undergoing renovation and reconstruction. We're building for the first time ever an attached hotel, an 801 room Omni Hotel, which will open in late of 2025. Ooh. We've completed our West expansion, which has 350,000 square feet of exhibit space. Uh, and we're also doing an East expansion which will be directly on an intercoastal waterway, waterway. So you have beautiful views of the waterway and the housing development right across from, uh, from the convention center, which is really beautiful multi-million dollar houses. And it will also include a 60,000 square foot ballroom, which will be the biggest ballroom in the Southeast. And it'll all come online by uh, end of 25. It also includes for the first time for us, um, a CVB office building. We will be at the convention center, which we're all very excited about. And um, we're very much looking forward to uh, to cutting that ribbon. It's been a long time in the making. Broward County's tried four times to build a hotel. And the fourth time is the charm. And um, it, to see it come out of the ground is is pretty amazing, especially as I said, I've lived here for so long and watched the, the, um, the county try to build this hotel, that the fact that it's gonna be happening under, under me um, is really, really, really exciting. It'll be like my swan song. It'll be like my swan song. Well, that's great. And as far as meetings and conventions are concerned, is this a game changer? Yeah, 75% um, of, of Visit Lauderdale's business is leisure. But that 25% that's business is, is really key to keeping the ho hotel industry afloat. And I've learned this since I got here because as, as I said, I was not in tourism before, um, before I got here. So that 25% is put on the books years in advance. You know, people are booking 28, 29, 30 now for, for groups and conventions. And so hotels can bank that. And, and it's basically their core, their core business, and which is what they're looking for. The leisure stuff also has become very last minute since the pandemic. People aren't booking vacations six months in advance or booking them two weeks or, or on Thursday to leave for a Friday for a long weekend. So that's really core business. And we'll be able to attract larger conferences and larger groups because of the, the enhanced space and because of the hotel. We've lost groups that 
that will not go any place that does not have an attached hotel, which honestly I understand because when I go to conferences, I like to stay at the attached hotel too. So um, it is definitely going to allow us to seek business that we had not been able to seek before to bring back business, which left because we didn't have the hotel. That's awesome. Yeah. So, um, you know, talking about meeting business in Florida, I recently wrote a story entitled New Florida Laws Are Bad for Meetings Business. And, you know, the NA, the NCCP is the latest group to issue a formal Florida travel advisory in response to Governor DeSantis's bill. The LGBTQ plus and the Latino communities have done the same. And, you know, there's talk that um, meetings and uh, events are canceling. And, um, you know, there's some that have the contracts in place and have to bring the groups now, but they'll not, they will not consider it for a few years out. I was wondering how this is impacting the greater Fort Lauderdale area. Well, um, as of this recording, we've, uh, in the past two weeks, we've lost seven groups that um, have chosen not to come here specifically because of the policy decisions that are being made in Tallahassee. That's, those are the ones that have told us the specific reasons why I, I have no doubt that there are others that, that don't want to say that but but aren't but but won't be coming here and we also know from talking to meeting and event planners that that there there are many clients that don't even want rfps sent to florida at all so i can tell you what we've lost those who have reached out to us and we were working with and that have decided to, to cancel for that reason but i don't even know what we're not able to go for because we're not even getting an rfp dropped in our lap so it is um I think the problem is that 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 policymakers don't see that impact because Florida is experiencing record tourism, and because it's experiencing record tourism, nobody who makes these decisions is looking up and saying, "Oh, hey, you know what? This might have a negative effect at some point." And and then there are those who call what the NAACP and Equality Florida have done as a political stunts. So when you don't take seriously what's going on here, and and we take if visit Lauderdale, what is going on in the state very seriously, then you're not gonna see a, a potential negative impact. And when I say we take it seriously, uh, because we are a destination of two million, you know, two million people live in Broward County. We're 170 nations represented by our residents speaking 147 languages. You can't get more diverse. I, I read a statistic recently that said we're more diverse than the island of Manhattan. So when you are that, then um, the fact that there are people who are pushing back on being diverse and inclusive makes us double down on it even for even more. So we continue to push that message of diversity and inclusion. We are welcoming, but more importantly, or maybe equally importantly, when you don't come here because of politics or because of policy, you're actually hurting those people who share your values. You know, when you're the and and we I, we respect both organizations, Equality Florida and um, and the NAACP. And we also respect the Human Rights Campaign. Uh, which put out um, a warning. But when you are doing that, you are hurting small businesses, minority and women-owned businesses, gay-owned businesses who rely on tourism to keep their businesses afloat. And so I would want to go to a place where people share my values. And while that may not be all of Florida, that is definitely Broward County. So you say by boycotting, you hurt small businesses. What do you recommend groups that have views that are different than these views that are in DeSantis's bills do? Uh, well, call us, contact, you know, contact Visit Lauderdale, and we can, we can direct you to those places where, you know, 
tell us what your value, what your clients' values are, what your values are, which I'm pretty sure we know if you're if you're an ally um, or a member of, of of those organizations, and we can direct you to the places where you are actually where your dollars are actually going to help. Now, having said that, I understand, although I don't agree with people who don't want to come here and don't want to send their sales tax dollars to Tallahassee. I get it. But when you do that, again, what you are doing is you are hurting those gay and women and, and minority-owned businesses which share your values and which embrace what, what, what you stand for. And that's Broward County. Is it all of Florida? No, it is not. Um, but it is us. And that's what we would encourage. Is and, that, and that's what we're telling all of these meeting planners and event planners. Look, we get it. We understand the pressures you might be having to not come here, but here's why you should come here. Here's what we stand for. And I'll bet you what we stand for is what, what you stand for. And has there been any instances where you've spoken to a meeting or event planner and directed them to go talk to people in government positions about what's going on or you know, to do some sort of corporate social responsibility that helps with their beliefs? Well, we're a government agency and government can actually be constrained when it comes to First Amendment, the First Amendment. You know, government can't constrain private businesses, but government can constrain, can, can constrain itself. And so I, I refrain from doing that. I will talk to my board of county commissioners. I will share with my board of county commissioners and my boss, the county administrator, the business that we've lost, the things I'm hearing, the emails I get regularly from people outside of Florida who say they're never coming here and they love Fort Lauderdale, but they're never coming here. Mm -hmm. But we have, the county has lobbyists, which, and, and their job is to go to Tallahassee and, and send the message, you know, the, the Broward County message. Um, it, it's not successful. Um, and, and that's politics. Some you win, some you lose, some. But um, we, so we are very much a, uh, an island in a sea. We're very much a blue island in a sea of red. Uh, but we're going to we aren't going to change simply because the politics is or the policies are making you know forcing us to do so. We are who we are, and that's what makes us authentic. We aren't going to change, uh, and and we may get punished as a result. Uh, but that doesn't mean that you don't stand up for your values. I have to wake up every morning and look at myself in the mirror. And the only way I can do that um, is to make is to stay true to the values that I bring to the table and that my destination brings. Can you tell me about your Everyone Under the Sun campaign? Yeah, well, um, when I got here, the Greater Fort Lauderdale Convention Visitors Bureau was using the tagline, Hello Sunny, and had been for a very long time. And the destination has really evolved into something that's very cosmopolitan and, and we have a, a leisure product that we didn't have 10 years ago. And I very much wanted to rebrand to, um, to reflect the, the destination because we think that our greatest asset is, are the residents who live here. Um, the stakeholders, our greatest stakeholders are our residents. They have to buy into tourism. If they don't buy into tourism, if they're not hospitable, if they're not friendly, then tourists won't come back. So we thought, okay, what are we? Who are we? Well, as I said before, 170 nations are represented in the 2 million people who live here. Everyone under the sun lives here. Not only does everyone under the sun live here, but we are an international destination. Everyone under the sun visits us. So the everyone under the sun tagline speaks to not only the people who live here, but the people who come to visit here. Uh, the Visit Lauderdale change was because Greater Fort Lauderdale Convention and Visitors Bureau is a mouthful. It's just easier to say visit Lauderdale, but 
we really wanted to focus on the everyone under the sun tagline and the everyone under the sun brand and use it wherever we go and wherever we speak because it is it was critically important when we did it two years ago it's even more important today for people to know that when we say everyone under the sun is welcome here we mean everyone under the sun is welcome here how important is it to tell the authentic story of a destination i think that's what people want these days but i also think that people are tired of hearing that you're authentic you know right. Right. um so instead of talking about how authentic we are. We just tell the story in, in through through the rebranding, through the, through the stories we tell of the people who live here, uh, what they look like, uh, what they do for a living, how they welcome visitors, uh, where they came from. We are a majority minority county. Many of our residents are immigrants. How they came here, what their what their travel to uh, to this country is, how this country if it has, has provided them opportunities they didn't have in other places. Many of them are either directly or indirectly in, uh, employed in tourism. So it, it, it transfers to a tourism related story. Here's why I came to this country. Here's how I got to tourism. Here's how I treat visitors when they come because they are also visitors in the respect that they did not, they were not born here. They were not necessarily raised here, but they've come here to uh, to um, enjoy the, a new life and, and how that evolves into the experience of the visitor. That we think is our greatest story, is when I got to Brad County in 1974, it was very white, very straight, very conservative, very male-centered. Uh, and it has become a completely different, beautifully woven tapestry. That's what we do best, is tell those stories. And you don't have to say they're authentic because the authenticity just either bounces off the page or comes through the video screen. We talk to people who love this place as I love this place, and you can hear it and feel it in their voices and in the smiles that they bring. And that authenticity, I guess, translates to successful meetings and conventions. Well, we have not been successful, and, and we do believe that we, we will be successful with the new convention center, at the expanded convention center and the hotel, but we also know that there are some storm clouds out there that we are gonna have to figure out how to navigate through or dissipate somehow or push back. We recognize that. And so wherever we go and whenever this question arises because Florida has become a very um, critical part of the conversation, uh, we just say what we've always been. We haven't been, we, we were the first destination to have an LGBT plus um, department, dedicated department back in the 90s. We aren't doing anything different that we've been doing for 30 years. It's just that people are paying more attention to it now because Florida has become so, uh, is consuming the oxygen as it relates to the conversation about diversity inclusion. And so people are paying more attention. We're delighted they're paying attention to us because this is who we are. So we think that we can navigate it, but we also think it's gonna be a little rocky between now and whenever the, the road smooths out. How important is diversity and inclusion when it comes to meetings and conferences? Well, we think it's important in, in everything that we do. Um, we, we, you know, I'm today's my birthday and I'm 63. And uh, <laughs> happy, woo, birthday, woo. happy birthday, happy birthday. Because, you know, everybody, you know, gee, that's joyous. But um, <laughs> when I think of myself as a young woman or teenager, all the movies were all white people. 
Mm-hmm. You know, people of color had minor roles and they were always relegated to certain characters. It never occurred to me when I was 15 and 16 that it was important for people to see their reflection in, in TV and movies and magazines and newspapers. And we have evolved into that. So now we see how important it is for, for people to see themselves. So it's critically important, but it's not done in, in a vacuum. Oh, I've checked this box. I've checked this box. I've checked this, this box. I think it has to evolve into something that is original. And I think that's why we tell the story so greatly is because we have evolved into something original. This came, and again, I don't like to use the word organic either, but I can't think of anything else. At my advanced age, words come very, very hard for me. Um, <laughs> we, it, it happened organically. Nobody said 50 years ago, ah, Broward County should change into something that's more diverse. It just happened. And it happened because we've always been a welcoming community that brought people in who might not have felt they belong where they were, but do belong here. Uh, so it is critically diverse. It's critically diverse in the workplace. It's critically diverse in, in, in entertainment. And it, it is critically diverse in, in tourism. Okay. So you touched upon the fact that you are an attorney. Can you tell us a little bit about your road to becoming an attorney and your career sure. in politics? Don't hold that against me. <laughs> I like to say at one point in my life, I was an attorney and a politician. And if I'd been a used car salesman, I would have had the bottom three covered. Um, <laughs> Um, so I, I've always wanted to be a lawyer. My mom was a legal secretary and I remember like on teacher work days when she couldn't find someone to watch me, I would go to work with her and I'd see all those law books and they looked so special and people seemed so intelligent. And, and so I think I was 11 when I decided I wanted to be a, a lawyer. And I realized it when I was playing Barbies with some of my girlfriends and their Barbies were flight attendants and my Barbie was the lawyer for the flight attendants. <laughs> So, um, um, ah, this is what I want to do. And so uh, I was fortunate enough to um, to be admitted to law school and um, didn't really love law school, but it was really hard and wasn't really crazy about the reading. Oh, my God. It was so I remember my first day of law school. They give you uh, assignments before before school starts. And so I had like 100 pages of reading the first day. I'm like, God, I read 100 pages of reading in a month in college. So um, when I graduated, I was going to graduate, I passed the bar. And uh, L.A. Law was the the number one show on TV. And I thought, ah, I'm going to get a corner office on Biscayne Bay, overlooking the bay. And it's going to be wonderful. And they're going to bring me bagels and donuts at our morning meetings. And and then people are going to say, ah, look at Stacey. She's incredible. And none of that happened. Uh, I ended up uh, in a law library a dank, dark law library researching for a year. I'm like, ugh, this is terrible. Where's my corner office? Where are my donuts and bagels? Uh, and don't they realize how amazing I am? What's wrong with these people? And um, and so uh, I decided to get married and have babies. <laughs> so, and I, I dabbled in law till about 1996 when um, I did, I, I evolved into a real estate lawyer because I could manage my own calendar because back then, most of the judges were men and most of the bailiffs were men and they didn't really care that you had a sick kid and you couldn't, you couldn't be in, um, in court that day. I, I hope it's changed. Um, I, I, I really hope it's changed. There are certainly more women on the bench now and, and they have, they experience the same childcare issues that, that everyone, you know, other women do. But, um, so I, uh, I joined a couple of activist organizations. The National Council of Jewish Women was my preferred organization and, 
we would go to Tallahassee every year and lobby on social issues. And then again, I thought, oh, look how important I am. I'm speaking about abortion and about school prayer. And um, and in April of 1996, my state rep decided to retire out of the blue. And Steve Geller, who's now a county commissioner, who um, was in the legislature at the time said, Stacy, you should do this. We had just met like three minutes before. Um, you're, you're, you're young children, uh, you can speak to that. You're Jewish, it's a very Jewish um, district. Um, you're socially liberal, that's really the district. You should do this. And I went, well, I should do it. And so I, I said, what the hell? And I threw my hat in the ring and I had no experience. I'd never run a campaign. I'd worked on a couple, but I'd never, I cobbled together well, I cobbled isn't the right word. I worked very hard to, to get a, a, a professional campaign staff. Some of it fell in my lap uh, because they didn't like my opponent, um, who was a two-time two school board member. She'd won countywide twice, and, and I beat her, and I won. Wow. And wow. nobody was more shocked than me because I wasn't supposed to. I mean, the newspapers didn't endorse me, and uh, the, neither the Herald nor the Sun Sentinel endorsed me. And they said, oh, she's nice, and she's probably got, you know, she's probably going to go someplace at some point, but it isn't going to be this time. Well, they were wrong. But I, I worked hard. I, I, I knocked on doors for eight weeks every day, eight hours a day, rain or shine. And the summers in South Florida are brutal. Um, but I but I worked my ass off and because I really, really wanted it. And I thought I could really, really do it. And the voters responded. I was born, I guess. <laughs> My career was born and I loved being an elected official. I loved the things that we could do. Uh, but after nearly 20 years, I, I felt that it was time to move on to something else, which I don't think enough elected officials do. I think they hang on until the bitter end. And, and um, I think that and many of them don't think that there's life after politics. But I can tell you that there is life after politics and it can actually be a better one. Did you go right from there to the Convention of Visitors Bureau or was there an in-between? I was on the Board of County Commissioners. I was in the middle of my second term. Okay. Yeah, right here. And um, so I had, in 2006, I was trying to figure out whether to run for a state Senate seat or the County Commission seat. Both were open seats. And I called a dear friend of mine and he said to me, Stacey, you got to do the County Commission and you're going to love it for about six years and then you're going to hate it. And it was six years, and I, I can't do this for much longer. I can't do this for much longer, which is uh, right away when around the time my husband told me that I was great at cocktail parties. <laughs> so um, three, almost four years later, the job um, was it more than that? No, no, was it, maybe I'm wrong. So oh, and so, so I took the job. So yeah, it was ten years on the board of county commissioners. The job and the job uh, was was offered to me, and so I resigned in the middle of my term and um, as a county commissioner and took this job. What are you most proud of as president and CEO of the Greater Fort Lauderdale um, Convention of Visitors Bureau? <laughs> I, there are there's the administrative story, um, and I and I never really considered myself an administrator, but I've become one uh, because we are a county agency, and there's a lot of paperwork when you work for a government agency. So getting the getting the correct policies and procedures to ensure that when we spend money, it is spent wisely. That's the boring answer, but it's also the really a really important answer. Uh, but that has happened and it has taken many, many years to do that so that we, everybody, 
will not, nobody has to worry that the money is being spent um, irresponsibly or without um, fiscal constraint. But the really fun part has been the rebranding and being able to talk about this place that I have called home for so many, I mean, gosh, it's almost 50 years, next year will be 50 years that I've lived here. And, and to be able to talk about the place that I love and tell the story about how it's changed. I went from, you know, the height of spring break, which was my era uh, of belly flop contests and wet t-shirt contests, although I was never in one because I would never have won one, but, um, and Nick <laughs> Beers and the button and the elbow room and puking on the beach and puking in what was then a, a holiday inn, what is now something else and not remembering and, and, and being 10 in a, in, a, in a hotel room and trashing the place because we were kids. Going from telling that story to today having dinner at a Four Seasons, you know, oh, wow. which used to be a place where I, you know, probably crammed in with nine other friends, um, to, to be able, and to tell everything that occurred it, during that time frame is the best thing I think I do here. And there are few people who have lived here this long that can talk about how it has changed. If you move here today, you would never ever believe that that back in the 70s, Broward County schools had just been desegregated, um, and and everybody on the east side was white, you know, or or if they were if they were a person of color, they were working for white people. Um, to what we've become today, I think it's just it's such an amazing story and it's almost difficult to find anywhere else. So that's the best part. Wow. That's wonderful. And you know what? I really respect your, you being so honest about the fact that, you know what, party and spring break. <laughs> and Thank now, God there were no cell phone cameras back then. There is no, <laughs> there is not a single shred of evidence to suggest that any of that actually happened. So. <laughs> Thankfully. <laughs> um, is there anyone who mentored you early in your career or helped you become the type of leader you are today? Um, I had lots of mentors. Uh, sadly, they're male, but I don't think women can achieve success without support from both gender or any gender, all genders. Um, I, I have to say that one of my first was uh, nobody mentored me in law when I was in law school or, or a lawyer, mostly be, I think because I just was clearly not interested in practicing law um, but or achieving success. But Lawton Childs, who was the governor when I got elected in 1996, who only had who only had a couple years left to live, not that any of us knew that, um, taught me what it meant to be a reasonable and responsible legislator. Um, and then there was... Steve Geller, who I had mentioned um, earlier, who encouraged me to run for the first time and likes to tell that story to everybody and anybody. Um, I made her, this is who I made. <laughs> and then I have to say that um, my current husband, because the man I'm married to today is not the man I was married to when I, when I ran and won in 1996, um, but we met on the campaign trail. He actually ran my campaign in 1996, had, saw something in me that I never saw that I'm not even sure I see today. And it's because of his support and love and guidance that um, that whatever I've achieved 
was it was it was achievable. Um, he didn't do it for me, but his his he was the first person who actually looked at Stacy Ritter and said, "I believe in you," wow. and and that and to this day, almost thirty years later, he he'll, he still says that to me on a regular basis, especially at low points when I'm not sure that I believe in myself and um and there are plenty of those days um he's my rock and not everybody needs a husband to do that but find somebody who believes in you um and you can achieve whatever it is you set out to achieve okay that is absolutely beautiful <laughs> thank you he'll never believe i said that because <laughs> i i rarely say that to his face you don't want him to get too big ahead, but uh, he is, he is an amazing man. And, and he's a man who understands me, uh, which is really hard to find because I am not easy. <laughs> so you had mentioned that um, most of your mentors were male. Um, I'm interested in finding out if you feel women are breaking the glass ceiling and if it's important to you to be a mentor to all. I think women, um, I think women are breaking the glass ceiling. I think we see that whether it's the first woman vice president or the first woman Supreme Court justice with Sandra Day O'Connor back in the day or um, whatever it is, but it doesn't have to be, but not every woman has to say, oh, I want to be the one to break the glass ceiling. A woman can be whatever she wants to be. And if that's a, a mom who stays at home and raises your kids, that's great. And if it's a mom who works also, that's great. And if it's someone who chooses not to have kids, and that's great too. I mean, we should all be able to, to free to do what, what we wanted to do. And my generation was very judgmental about women who didn't want to have children. I personally, whatever works for you. But I think that because my generation was mentored by men, that we boomers, we female boomers, certainly the ones I know, and this holds for me, um, we are very much interested in making sure that the next generation of women and the one after that don't take as long to get, it doesn't take them as long to get wherever it is they want to go. Women don't become CEOs until they're in their 50s. Women don't apply for jobs uh, where they don't feel qualified. If there are 10 criteria, uh, a woman will not apply for a job unless she feels that she checks seven of those boxes. A male will do it if he check, thinks he checks three. Um, if women are, you know, if we are so, uh, uh, a phrase not the right word, but um, reluctant to say that we're smart. That we that we are successful. I have a hard time saying it, um, but a man in my position would be off telling everybody how great he was. Mm -hmm. We have to be better at self promotion, and that's my generation's responsibility to teach those women who are in their 40s and and 50s and 40s and 30s now that it's okay to to brag, and it's not bragging if it's true. Um, you know, I and this is how I this is always this is me. I don't want to sound immodest, but, well, it's not immodest necessarily to say, you know what, I look at my resume and if I were looking at someone else, I'd be like, wow, but I look at myself and I see what I haven't yet done, not what I have. Mm -hmm. That's my generation's job to change the mindset for younger women so that they don't feel that way. So that, yes, mentoring is extraordinarily important for my generation to make sure that those women achieve whatever it is they want to achieve when they're in their 40s not waiting till their 50s or 60s. Okay. And what attributes and or qualities have you developed that have helped you become successful? Um, I have a very foul mouth. That's, uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's, 
<laughs> in fact, I, I'm surprised I haven't let one fly yet. Um, uh, I, 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 oh gosh, that's a tough question because I'm not sure that I have any of those, but I think people would think I do. Uh, but commitment is very, I think, very important to be committed. Um, this job for me, I had a lot of people who said she's, you know, we're not putting a politician in that job. The newspapers wrote two opinions of, uh, of stories about me saying anybody but Stacey Ritter for the CBB. Um, everybody but Stacey Ritter for the CBB. Oh my so gosh. I, it, and, and if people don't think that I went home and cried about that, yeah, I did. I, it, 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 out of frustration. Um, but commitment, dedication, putting your head down, not, not letting those who want to throw those, um, those darts at you and shoot those arrows, not letting them win is probably what has motivated me more than anything. The more I get of no, you can't, the more I want to do it. And I think that's a real uh, um, um, strength for, for leaders. I also think you need to be a good listener. Uh, you need to let people know that you hear them. My my friend Lisa Lutoff Perlow, who's the vice chair of external affairs at Celebrity Cruises, says that being a leader is very much like the Wizard of Oz. The um, I think this is so brilliant. The scarecrow needed um, brains. The Tin Man wanted a heart, and the Cowardly Lion wanted courage. And brains, heart, and courage are the three things you need to be a leader. Wow. Um, and and, um, and I think that if if I'm being immodest, I have those three attributes, um, and and they've clearly done me well. Wow! I think that's awesome. What is the one thing people would be surprised to learn about you? <laughs> um. Oh gosh, what would be the one thing people would be surprised to learn about me? <laughs> I don't. I don't. I. I'm so. I feel like I'm such an open book. And I'm not okay. sure that anybody would be surprised about anything about me. Um, but I um, I do like to listen to podcasts and paint at the same time. And I think that people would be like, wait, she paints? <laughs> so I think that might be, I mean, everybody knows I love shoes and everybody knows I love to shop and um, <laughs> everybody knows I like to do karaoke and pretend that I'm Madonna from 1982. Um, <laughs> but they don't know that I like to paint. <laughs> and tell me about, you have an Oscar on your desk? It's an Emmy. And what was that for? Uh, we, we did a video called Greater Together back in 2017, wow. um, right after Donald Trump got elected president. And um, we were all at the World Travel Market in London in November 16, the night of the election. And the next day, lots of people walked around shell-shocked and they, a lot of the international crew would come up to us and say, WTF, what are you people doing? And as the conversation went to immigrants were bad and, and all of that negative talk, we felt that we needed to start pushing back. We would never have the bully pulpit of the White House, but whatever we did have, we were gonna use. We put together this video called Greater Together, which showed the, the diversity of the destination and we wanted Emmy for it. Yay. Oh my, that's amazing. <laughs> So um, in wrapping up, what do you feel the future holds for your organization and you know, the meetings and conventions industry as a whole? Uh, I, I think, well, I think meetings have, coming, or have come back, um, not to the levels of, of pre-pandemic, but, I, I, but, but the tourism industry has to stop 
marking 19 as, as the benchmark for, for everything. Um, because through four years later, things have changed drastically. People travel differently. People think differently. People, you know, I used to, well, I remember going to China in 2019, in September 2019, and they're all wearing masks. And I'm like, oh, what are they wearing masks for? How silly. And, uh, you know, and then six months later, we were all wearing masks. So people have evolved in their thinking. So um, it's come back. And, and I think it will, will get better for us and for everyone else. People want to travel. People want to go back to conferences. I think two years ago, none of us thought people were going to want to go to conferences, but they do. They want to meet in person again. There's this a connection you get in person that you just cannot get um, electronically. So I think it's very bright. I, uh, uh, but I again, I do today. I would say it's a little dimmer than it was maybe six years, six months ago, based on some of the the policy changes, but um, pendulums swing. And uh, I'm, I'm, I, I would encourage people who think they know Florida to take a second look and, and not give up on us. Florida is 20 million people. We are not monolithic. We do not think as one. We are not the Borg. Um, we, we are all, whether you think left, right, or center, there's a lot of thought and a lot of conversations going on in Florida that would be encouraging to people who do who do not live here and only get Florida from, you know, the the new the, the little snippets they see from the news. So that's what I would say. Come here, show your commitment to our values. We will show you our commitment to yours and they align. Um, and, and check out the new convention center and, and the new hotel when it comes online, because, um, you know, the shiny new toy isn't is it, is it visit Lauderdale and you're going to want to play. <laughs> So we always end our podcasts by asking who should we have on our future podcast? Who would you recommend? Um, I love Chuck Davison at Visit Slow Cal, okay. um, which is uh, San Luis Obispo. I think he is really um, um, interesting. Uh, interesting is not the right word. Interesting sounds like he might be dull. Um, <laughs> he's not. I just, I've learned a lot from him in tourism. Uh, he's been a great, I know, you know, he's been a mentor to me in tourism. Um, but the way he has he has um, moved the needle for SlowCal has been really impressive to watch, um, and so he is definitely one that I would um, that I would bring on. I'd also you know ask Jeff Freeman, who's the head of the U.S. Travel Association, to come on. New leadership, Roger Dow, who's been there for many many years. So Jeff's got some new ideas on on where to take the U U.S. Travel Association. I think he would be a good person to um, to have on your podcast as well. And you're Those part of and you're part of that association, aren't you? Yes, we are. We are Chairman Circle members of USTA. In fact, we are bidding for IPW for 2026, which would be a first for this destination. We've never had IPW here, so we're keeping our fingers crossed. They're coming in July for a site visit, so we're keeping our fingers crossed. Great. Well, Stacey, this has been wonderful. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you very much. I appreciate the opportunity.